The following is an exclusive podcast for the Dermatology Digest. Today, Dr. Brittany Craiglow, Associate Professor Adjunct at the Yale School of Medicine in New Haven, Connecticut, discusses her recent 13th International Congress of Dermatology presentation on pediatric hair loss disorders. Here's Dr. Craiglow. Well, I only had 20 minutes, <laughs> which is a very short time to talk about the global category of hair loss, but I focused on alopecia areata and androgenetic alopecia, which are um, the two most common causes of hair loss that we see in kids. And, um, you know, actually diseases that until sort of fairly recently, we didn't really have very reliably effective treatment options for. So, um, we still don't have on label options, but, um, in terms of alopecia areata, there's been, um, you know, a lot of data now for the use of JAK inhibitors. There's lots of clinical trials, you know, in adult populations, actually one, one trial did include down to age 12. Um, but lots of patients now have been treated off label. And so there are case series and case reports of kids, um, you know, taking these medicines for hair loss and or for alopecia areata and doing very well. So that's pretty exciting using oral minoxidil, which is something that, um, it's just sort of started to kind of creep out, um, in the literature using it for primarily endogenetic alopecia. Um, and I've used it in, in teenagers for that. I'm also starting to use it a little bit in kids with alopecia areata. So kind of a new tool for the toolbox, um, not so much pediatric focus, but we, um, a group of us in the United States recently got together to establish a severity scale for alopecia areata that was recently published in the JAD, I believe. Yes. <laughs> and, um, just sort of, you know, more of a, we use in clinical trials, a salt score, which is like a severity of alopecia tool, which basically only looks at hair loss percent scalp involvement, um, which is part of the picture, but, but patients with hair loss, um, you know, it's not just their scalp, it's other areas of the body, but also often there's like a big, you know, psychosocial impact and that kind of plays into severity also. So we designed a scale that incorporates not only percent scalp involvement, but sort of these other kind of modifying factors, if you will, including, you know, involvement in brows and lashes, psychosocial impact, um, lack of response to prior therapies, like things like that. So, um, that's something that can, you know, be, we hope will be used more in the clinic, you know, a little bit easier to reach for than actually calculating a salt score. Um, I also talked about the use of dupilumab for alopecia areata. Um, another thing where there's just like a little bit of buzz starting. And um, I published a case series recently of six kids um, who had both atopic dermatitis and alopecia areata treated with dupilumab, um, five of whom regrew nearly completely. However, some of them were on like concomitant medicine. So it's not like perfectly clean. Um, but there was also a, a clinical trial, um, just published recently looking at its use in AA. And while it wasn't particularly effective in general, the patients for whom it was effective, um, they tended to have like a history of atopic dermatitis, either personally or in the family, or they had like an elevated IgE. So that's a population, um, to kind of maybe think about using it in if some, you know, a lot of these patients, like about 
up to 30% of patients with alopecia areata also have atopic dermatitis. So in some of those two first, you know, it's a, it's something to think about. Um, and obviously like on label for kids for AD. So something that, you know, you could actually maybe get more easily for your patient. Usually when I talk about hair and kids, I, I talk about, you know, that it is a big deal. Like, I think it's easy for people to, you know, kind of dismiss it or say it's just hair or tell kids, oh, you can wear a hat or you can wear a wig, but it's like dramatically life altering for patients um, and families. You know, there's a huge impact on quality of life. And, but I think, you know, saying those things doesn't really even sort of capture what it's like, you know, but you really can't interact with the world in a normal way if you don't have hair, like you just can't. Right. Um, and plenty of people cope and, you know, they live their life fairly normally, but it's still there. It's always there. Even if you're wearing a wig, you're thinking about, you know, is it going to come off or somebody can people looking at my hairline, like, can they tell I'm wearing it or you can't go swimming or you can't play basketball. You can't, play, you know, like it's a big thing. And so, um, just kind of like the importance of, of recognizing that, but also acknowledging it to patients and families, I think is really useful. A lot of these patients, like, you know, they, they do feel like they've kind of been dismissed and it's not a good feeling. And so I think just, just simply saying, you know, look, this is hard, you know, like it's hard for everybody and that's okay. Um, Cause there is a sort of complicated psychology, like where, especially parents, I think like they feel bad that they feel bad, you know, like people think their kid has cancer when they have like complete scalp hair loss, eyebrows, eyelashes, and they don't. And so it's like, well, thank goodness they don't have cancer. Right. So how can I feel bad because my kid is actually healthy, you know? So it's like very complicated, but, um, and I think those families need to know, like, like, of, of course it could be worse, you know, and perspective is useful, but it doesn't, you know, that doesn't have to take away from your, from your personal experience. Right. So I think just like taking a little extra time with these patients, kind of trying to imagine if it were our child or, you know, family member, like how would we want to be treated? It's hard, like in the middle of a busy clinic, like it takes longer and, but it, you know, it's also really fun. Like it's really rewarding. People sort of shy away from hair loss because it is, you know, often the visits are longer. There aren't necessarily a lot of things to do, but if you can help somebody get their hair back, like they're eternally grateful. Like there's really kind of nothing like it. This has been an exclusive podcast with the Dermatology Digest. Find more at www.thedermdigest.com. Thank you for joining us.